We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. College football underway. Last night gave out Minnesota plus 14. Pushed. Felt kind of lucky about that there at the end as P.J. Fleck decided not to use his timeouts as Ohio State had the ball. I felt like as explosive as Ohio State was in that game, they could have easily scored um, for an outright cover there at the end. At the same time, they missed a targeting call on Ohio State late when Minnesota was driving and Minnesota could have cut the lead to seven. So it probably ended where it deserved to end um, at 14, 45, 31 push. I think Minnesota looks to be very improved. Good God, is Ohio State explosive, man. The, the difference between Ohio State and the rest of the Big Ten is almost similar to what Clemson's done in the ACC to a certain degree, Alabama to a certain extent right in the SEC. There's like separation now where, you know, you go back 10 years, there wasn't any. Ohio State's much better than anybody else in the Big Ten. I thought Minnesota was impressive last night, and I hope Ibrahim, their running back that I talked about on the podcast yesterday, the kid from Baltimore, I don't know what the injury is. I think they were talking Achilles. That would be devastating. He is so much fun to watch. 30 carries last night, 163 yards before he got hurt. Uh, Minnesota was up at halftime, 14-10. They were up 21-17. But Ohio State scored just in bunches and explosively. They they had 21 points in the second half on six plays. Uh, they were pretty explosive last night, and they're going to be all year long. The debut of C.J. Stroud was sort of up and down, but ended up. Look, in that offense, just get the ball to your playmakers, Alave and Wilson, and then they've got all these running backs, including the freshman Travion Henderson, who took a screen pass and took it 70 yards uh, for a touchdown. Um, Ohio State wins 45-31 in the game last night. So the smell test off to a 0-0-1 start. More picks coming up later in the show. Anyway, uh, some Washington football team uh, talk to start here. Uh, But before I get to that, uh, I just want to remind everybody, if you don't mind, subscribe to the show. It really helps us. It doesn't cost you a thing. Rate us and review us where you can also. Uh, That really helps, especially on Apple, Spotify, and Google Play. 
So I've got three quick Washington football team items. Um, Number one is this. Peyton Barber was claimed off the practice squad by the Raiders, so no Peyton Barber for short yardage this year for Washington. Number two, there was a lot of discussion yesterday about Curtis Samuel. Uh, They are targeting next week for his return to full-time practice. I've got a You Heard It Here first uh, here on Friday, September 3rd. Curtis Samuel will be inactive for game one, maybe both uh, games that week, Uh, game one against the Chargers and game two against the Giants. I just think these soft tissue injuries, um, Ron Rivera talked about how long they take, especially for speedsters and guys that really can run. I just think there there's not going to be um, a situation next week where even if he practices, they're going to be comfortable playing him. Uh, after one week of practice, I think they're going to ease him into this. I don't think they're going to risk any sort of setback. I just think when we get to 11.45 a.m. Sunday, September 12th, that the inactive list is going to come out and Curtis Samuel's going to be on it. That's my prediction. Uh, All right, I wanted to get to something that was written yesterday by Mike Silver, longtime NFL writer, columnist, and now a contributor to WashingtonFootball.com. It was a story titled, Why Fits a Deep Dive into Ron Rivera's Offseason Strategy, meaning the strategy to acquire the quarterback for not just now, but potentially in the future. Now, there's this cute little um, opening segment where uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick got signed to the one-year $10 million deal, and he reached out to Washington to coordinate travel arrangements to get him up here to sign the deal and, I guess, to be introduced to the media. And he was talking about, you know, boarding groups and flight options, and they're like, no, 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 this is, this is Dan Snyder's operation. We coming down to pick you up in our jet. And Fitzpatrick said in his 17 years, that was the first time that that had ever happened. And he said, quote, I finally made it, closed quote. All right, let me get to the crux of the story that Mike Silver wrote that I wanted to read and then comment on. Uh, He writes, in truth, Coach Ron Rivera and the organization's other power brokers were tempted to bring in a quarterback with more marquee value. They made an inquiry about Stafford, following up with an offer to Detroit. At one point, Rivera believed Washington had an excellent shot at landing Stafford before the Lions and Rams hastily hammered out their trade deal. Remember, two firsts, a third, and Jared Goff. Then heading into the draft, Rivera thought hard about trading up to acquire a quarterback in the draft. Ultimately, he balked at the price, instead staying put and selecting Jamin Davis. Faith in Fitzpatrick's abilities was one reason Rivera, Martin Mayhew, and Marty Herney ultimately felt comfortable staying away from bright, shiny objects. There was also a foundational philosophy at play. Intent on building the team from front to back, a process validated by by the strong line play that fueled Washington's second-half surge, certainly I would say parenthetically, Washington's second-half defensive line play. Um, Rivera resisted the quick fix quote from Rivera. We didn't have the pieces in place to say, all we've got to do is get a quarterback and we can win. Now. I felt that if we could continue to put the rest of the pieces in place, why not do that? We like the guys that we have and we like where we are. So why not add on a couple of pieces? Then as we went through it, we felt, wow, we're shoring up the defense and free agency in the draft. Wow, we got a slot receiver and a speed receiver in free agency and drafted another speed receiver. Now let's see if we can get everybody trained, get a veteran quarterback, and see what happens. 
There was a point in late January when Rivera believed Stafford might be that veteran quarterback, Mike Silver writes. Washington had made an opening offer that included first and third round selections in the 2021 draft. And there was a palpable sense in the building that they could close a deal with the Lions. Then came the Rams deal, which blew away Washington's deal. So Washington was out. At various times, Silver wrote, Rivera contemplated making a run at Wilson. That would be Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson before his legal issues, and Aaron Rodgers. In each case, they concluded that the price was prohibitive. Said Rivera, quote, who wouldn't check in with those teams and do their due diligence to see what the cost would be to get a guy of that caliber, closed quote. Similarly, while assessing the prospective cost of moving into the draft's top 10, the notion of including a core player in the deal was a non-starter to Rivera. Quote, that would have defeated the whole purpose. We're trying to build a team, not give, not give up building blocks. Some people wanted way too much draft capital for the next two years. We weren't through building. If we mortgaged our future on a player, and maybe he isn't the right guy, and maybe we can't afford to keep our core, it could have really set us back. Closed quote. Silver writes, instead, Washington felt comfortable moving forward with Fitzpatrick, who they prioritized ahead of fellow free agents Andy Dalton and Tyrod Taylor, and reasonably inexpensive trade targets Teddy Bridgewater, Marcus Mariota, and Sam Darnold. By the way, um, uh, Silver uh, also wrote that Fitzpatrick drew interest from numerous teams, including one that had him penciled penciled in to be the starter in 2021. He picked Washington. So a couple of things here. Um, Number one is I understand the not trading into the top 10, and that would have defeated the whole purpose. We're trying to build a team, not give up building blocks. That is much higher risk, right? You know, giving up lots of draft capital and maybe a core player to move from 19 into the top 10 to draft, say, Justin Fields. I understand that. Uh, I do. And if they aren't sure about the player, mortgaging some of your future on a player that you don't know enough about um, isn't necessarily the right move and could set a team back. You know, going for quarterbacks in a big way in the draft can set teams back. That's for sure. I am encouraged that they went after Stafford, that they went after Wilson, Watson, and uh, and Rodgers even, you know, and even contemplated some other uh, free agents like Dalton and Taylor and Bridgewater and Mariota and Sam Darnold. I think what it says is what I've believed since the Stafford stuff came out, and that is they know they need a quarterback now and in the future, but definitely now, but hopefully they can find somebody now who's also going to be around for the future. That may not be Fitzpatrick, but it would have been Stafford. What I would love to know is if Detroit came back to Washington or if any of these teams were asking for costs that were so prohibitive or asking for compensation, excuse me, that was so prohibitive, what would have been too prohibitive for Stafford or for Rodgers or for Watson or Wilson? Look, Wilson, Watson, and Rodgers, ultimately, let's be honest, they weren't available. All right, Seattle wasn't dealing Wilson, Houston at the time wasn't dealing Watson, and Rodgers wasn't going to be dealt by the Packers. So, you know, uh, personally, there isn't anything um, other than, you know, the, the ridiculous. But three first-rounders, a second-rounder, and, and a core player for Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson before his legal issues? Of course. More than a, a first and a third 
in 2021 for Matt Stafford? Definitely. I would have included a core player. Not Chase Young in that deal, but anybody else. Anybody else. See, I think the building block by block is really nice when it's really hard to get that quarterback. You know, where you really can't get that quarterback. But if that quarterback is gettable, and that quarterback is more than a one-year or a two-year solution, but potentially a three-to-five-plus solution, and it's an elite quarterback, not a drafted quarterback, not moving up moving up in the draft, there isn't really a price that's too high for Aaron Rodgers or Deshaun Watson before his legal issues or Russell Wilson. And for that matter, I've got Matt Stafford as a top-10 quarterback in the right situation. So I would have gone higher than a first and a third. I would have thrown in a player, maybe not Chase Young, for Matt Stafford, but anybody else. Terry McLaurin, yes. Montez Sweat, yes. My preference would have been a first, a third, and say Matt Ioannidis. Obviously, I don't want to give up Terry McLaurin or Montez Sweat or or anybody else, Um, but I would have given up more and would have offered more than the first and the third, but it sounds like there really wasn't necessarily that opportunity. Uh, lastly, uh, there were a couple of other lines from Mike Silver's. Actually, before I get to the other lines from Mike Silver's um, story on WashingtonFootball.com, let me just sum it up. I would have given up more for Matt Stafford. Not Chase Young, probably not Terry McLaurin. Let me reconsider uh, my statement on that. Um, but I would have give, given up a lot for Matt Stafford, and I would have given up almost anything for the Rodgers or the Watson before the legal issues or Russell Wilson. See, I think it's really... It's fine to talk about block by block, front to back, foundational, when the time is right. Um, But the opportunities that could have existed in this offseason were nearly unprecedented. Um, To to have a chance at a Watson before all the issues, uh, maybe even a Rodgers, a Matt Stafford, you just don't get those opportunities very often. And the bottom line is you can talk about foundational philosophy all you want, but in this day and age, you can build front front to back until you're blue in the face, Uh, but you could end up being what Denver's been for the last several years. Really, really good on defense, good, you know, in in skill position spots, but without a quarterback and out of the postseason and with not even really good records. So when you have a chance at the home run, proven elite franchise quarterback, I think you go for it. Uh, Lastly, I, I wanted to mention two other lines in Silver's story. He wrote, faith in Fitzpatrick's abilities was one reason Rivera, Martin Mayhew, and Marty Herney ultimately felt comfortable staying away from the bright, shiny objects. And then he wrote um, a little bit later on, Washington felt comfortable moving forward with Fitzpatrick, who they prioritized ahead of fellow free agents Andy Dalton, Tyrod Taylor, Teddy Bridgewater, Marcus Mariota, Sam Darnold. Those, the latter three would have been inexpensive trade targets. So we do have the list of now all of the quarterbacks, right? Um, Stafford, Wilson, Watson, Rodgers, Fitzpatrick, Dalton, Taylor, Bridgewater, Mariota, Darnold. Uh, what does that say about um, Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen as prospective uh, future NFL starters? Uh, well, it certainly says that they didn't view either one of those two guys as starters this year. Maybe Allen because of the injury. Um, But I also think it speaks to more than just this year with some of the guys that they were at least interested in. So I think there's something to learn from that. But the other part is this. They like Fitzpatrick. 
They have faith in Fitzpatrick. I said this a, a couple of weeks ago when Ron Rivera made that comment about game manager. I don't think that really, I mean, I, 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 I don't want to take that literally, but I think it speaks to this comfort of going through another season with having a mature, savvy veteran who's also a leader at quarterback. It allows them to operate, you know, uh, at a uh, at a professional level, uh, evaluate everybody around them. But in Fitzpatrick's case, they can keep him upright for 17 games. He's physically so much more capable, and he's a different style player. But I think there's comfort in Fitzpatrick. I think much more so than many of you think. Anyway, uh, that... Yesterday's, you heard it here first with Tommy, I predicted that Fitzpatrick would start all 17 regular season games. I think that's what they're expecting from him. I do. Up next, Maryland football uh, gets underway tomorrow against West Virginia. We'll have a preview with Steve Suter right, right after these words from these sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Suter, who backpedals to take it at about the 23-yard line. Steve Suter gets to the outside, uses his blockers well. Now a convoy for Suter. Down the sideline, he'll take it all the way for the touchdown. That was the 2004 Gator Bowl. Steve Suter returned to punt 76 yards for a touchdown. Steve is not only the greatest punt returner in the history of Maryland football, he's one of the greatest, if not the greatest, punt returner in the history of the ACC, one of the greats all time in college football. And this was a stretch of the early Ralph Region years where Maryland was destroying West Virginia. And on that day, they crushed the Mountaineers' 41 to 7 in the Gator Bowl on New Year's Day 2004. Maryland and West Virginia set tomorrow 3:30 Capital One Field in College Park. First time since 2015 the two teams will meet and Steve is a part of the broadcast team. He will be the lead analyst in the booth with the legend Johnny Holiday. Steve, thanks so much uh, for making time for us today. You know, I was thinking about those teams. The early Ralph Region years, they were so much fun to watch. You guys just absolutely destroyed West Virginia there for uh, a four- or five-game stretch, including that Gator Bowl. It was a rivalry back then. It was fun, wasn't it, to beat the crap out of them year in and year out for a few years? <laughs> that was some good times for us, for sure, and some great memories for me specifically as an individual and some of my career highlights really were against those guys. So it makes 
it all that much better to reminisce. And every time I got a chance to put a highlight on the tape against those guys, it, it felt good. You know, there was that stretch. I, I, I don't know about you. You played for Ralph Regan. I'm just an alum and a fan. But I still, to this day, don't think Ralph gets nearly the credit that he deserves as, as a great football coach. Not just college football coach. He was a great offensive coordinator under Bobby Ross in San Diego. That Charger team went to the Super Bowl. And sometimes I think we just we, we forget what a great coach he was. What was it like to play on those teams that were you know, the first three teams here under Ralph, 2001, 2002, 2003, I mean, they won 35 games in three years. Absolutely. We had talent, and he was able to come in and put a system in place that could utilize the talent. A lot of teams can't mesh coaching and players. It's something that just doesn't happen all the time. And he was also very good at hiring great coaches around him. So he brought in the system, but he brought in some great coaches as well. Black knee on defense. The defensive coordinator was one of the best we've ever had. It was a shame he retired as early as he did. For us, we would have had even better defense, I think, moving forward. But it's funny you say that. We had so many good guys that went to the league. I went actually went and talked to the team last week, and it was more of a conversation that I was trying to implore stay in school and take networking and making connections serious. And I wanted to use some statistics, right? 98% of you aren't going to go to the NFL and take it from my experience. But then I was looking at my roster that I played with. I said, these numbers don't work for us because (laughs) I got 15, 20 guys that have played in the league that I played with on our team. So the numbers (laughs) aren't going to scare them that much. We had so many good guys. I rallied off names on an interview I was on last week. And I think I went like 15 guys that played in the NFL that I played with and that's just that's just a testament to us having good talent and then the coaches maximizing it. Wow. That that is uh there were so many good players on that team and Ralph figured out a way to coach him up, that's for sure. Um and I you know I always refer to this 10 years, 7 bowl games, 5 bowl wins. And nobody respects Ralph, that staff, in that era more than Mike Loxley, who was a part of that era on Ralph's staff. So let's start there. Um, Let's talk about this upcoming Maryland 2021 team. And I'll start with Loxley. Three and nine the first year. Last year is a little bit strange with the COVID. Two and three. Two big wins, though, over Minnesota and Penn State. Is this a big year for Loxley? What does Maryland need to produce this year? I think it's got to be a bowl game. I think, and I think it can be. I think the expectations would be for them to go to a bowl. Those are the expectations I'm putting on them. I've been out of practice. I've watched the team. They have talent, especially on the perimeter, on offense and defense. And the thing is going to be, can the offensive line and defensive line complement the perimeter talent? The secondary is fantastic. You got maybe the top duo safeties in the conference and Nick Cross and Jordan Mosley and Deontay Banks and Jacorian Bennett and Tarheed still was a all American freshman all American last year. They're very good, but you gotta complement them with a defensive line that can stop the run so that teams have to throw on you and then you have to be able to apply a little pressure to where these guys can pick off passes and bat passes down because the quarterback's timing's a little messed up. So if the D line can do that 
they're going to be good on defense or be better on defense. And then the offense can make plays on the outside. Dante Demas, I think he's a third-round pick. He's a, he's a great receiver. He's got the body. He's got the ball skills. He's going to be making plays. Rakim Jarrett is a guy that you want to get the ball in his hands immediately and as many times as you can. Jason Jones. He's been battling some injuries, but he was a stud when he came out as a freshman. He's still a good player. Daryl Jones has been there for a long time. So can we complement those guys on the outside offense the same way on defense? We need to be able to run the ball a little bit. You lost Jake Funk, and he was a stud. And he made so the Rams team. Back. Yeah. Yeah, very happy for that kid. I mean, we could talk probably 30 minutes about him alone. But running back by committee, can they – pick up the production that he took with him. And if they can, they're going to be good on offense again. So I, I've been saying, as I've been analyzing the season, if we beat West Virginia this week, I think we go to a bowl game. So that's my expectation. Yeah, beat West Virginia tomorrow. And I guess, you know, if you look at uh, the schedule, they've got a better chance to get to six wins and bowl eligibility uh, on the season. Maryland's over-under for the year, just as an aside, is pretty high for them in recent years. It's five and a half. So um, there are some expectations that Maryland could potentially be a bowl team uh, this year. You gave a a nice high-level summary of both the offense and the defense. I want to focus on quarterback here to start. Leah Tungavailoit, who was younger brother, played really well last year at times, was great in that Penn State game. Um, but from what I've been reading, uh, this Reese Udinsky, who's a 6'4", 225-pound pro prospect, some are saying, um, has pushed him a little bit. Does, uh, does Leah have plenty of breathing room um, right now as the starter? I think he has a little bit of room. I would say Reese is close, but it the kid just came off of ACL six months ago. I just, I just can't see him being the type of player that he was this early. I mean, it's unheard of. Six months ago, fully recovered from an ACL, he's, and he's out of practice. I've been out there. I've watched him. He's, he's running. They're not, not restricting him, but I just have a hard time thinking he's going to be healthy enough to – compete with Tungavailoa to take his spot. But now, people are Tungavailoa excited about him, aren't they, Steve? Who, who Tungavailoa? Or no, Reese. Yeah, no, they are. And I've been out there watching, and I, I see what they see. It's just a health issue for me. I don't, I just don't see him being fully capable to just play at the level that he wants to play at, or they need him to play at to take Tungavailoa's spot. I think Tungavailoa is going to have to just – show some signs of not making progressions and not progressing, and then they'd have to make that decision. You know, the first game we saw him play when he was awesome against Penn State last year, uh, to me, I saw a lot of Russell Wilson in his game. I'm not, you know, putting him at Russell Wilson's level, but there was this incredible ability to play off script. Um, and I thought he had, you know, the kind of vision you need as a quarterback in the pocket and outside of it to 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 escape consistently. Um, I would imagine that that's going to be a big part of his game with the offensive line in front of him this year. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you what, what impresses me the most whenever I watch him play is his timing on three-step drops and five-step drops. He gets the ball out on time when he knows where he's going with it, and he throws a good ball, and he's accurate. So you mentioned his ability to scramble, and that was evident in the Minnesota game, too. I think he had a 40-yard scramble touchdown. Yeah, 
he's athletic, but every time I'm out of practice, I keep saying it in my head when I'm watching, like, man, that guy's got good timing. He's got good timing. So to your point, if the line can hold up and he can take his drops, three steps and five step and even seven step drop and, and read the coverage, dissect where the play is going to go. He's going to throw the ball in time. And that's, that's key. It's just, it's not like a statistic or, or an attribute that people talk about, but it's a, it's just an innate ability that he has and the receivers like it and it's going to work for him. So those are the, those are the main attributes I see that he excels at. So since entering the Big Ten, the one thing I think all of us have realized is that Maryland just hasn't been big enough or strong enough up front on either side side of the line of scrimmage. They've been able to recruit incredible skill position talent, um, which holds true again. You've already gone through the receivers. I mean, Maryland's got a five star in Jarrett. Uh, you know, in Demas and 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 Jayshon Jones coming back, they've got playmakers, and even with Fleet Davis in the backfield, they've got guys that in space, if they touch it, are really dangerous. But where they've gotten their ass kicked, let's be honest, since entering the Big Ten, has been up front. They haven't been able to recruit or retain big, strong, athletic linemen. I mean, I'm watching the Ohio State-Minnesota game last night. Both of those offensive lines are just massive. And obviously, in the case of Ohio State, super athletic as well. So is this going to be the weakness of this 2021 team as it's been recently? Sure. If you're going to put your finger on a weakness, I would, I would do the same. It, it happens to be the interior line. And last year, especially on defense, they couldn't stop the run. They were right. 230 yards a game. You, you just can't win games like that. You've got to make teams have to try to throw the ball on you or try to be balanced. And if they can't do that, then they're going to struggle again on defense specifically. Offensively, yes, they still need to get better and, and size, but they've been able to manufacture points at spurts or in spurts. So, yes, I don't know what it is about recruiting linemen and how hard it is to get them in this area maybe, but they do need to – I mean, lots of – not an idiot. He knows this too. He's gonna. They've tried to focus on getting these better linemen and big boys. Just hasn't panned out yet. So we'll see what do you how, th- how it progresses. What do you think that's about? A lot of us really enjoy high school sports in this area. I, I follow the basketball scene a lot. You probably follow the football scene. But what is it about this area? Where we are consistently in the DC, you know, in the DMV, producing tons of skill position talent, um, and we, you know, I, I know that they had, you know, um, Johnny Jordan and and Jordan transferred to Virginia Tech. But what is it about this area that that doesn't, at least for Maryland, produce big, you know, Iowa-sized offensive linemen? <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. You know what? I think it's more of a it's I think it's harder to recruit linemen from evaluating their bodies. They're so in high school they're just big and most of them don't lift weights cuz they're just 65 and 300 pounds and you're just dominating kids. So it's hard to look forward how is this guy's body going to grow is it going to grow is he going to put muscle on can his body even put muscle on it's just it's just so many pounds it's hard to 
forecasted, are these guys going to be good? I, I mean, I played with linemen that came in and were highly recruited people, and they just didn't pan out. I don't know what it is. Some people get to college and they realize they don't like football. And I saw other linemen that I don't want to, you know, maybe this is harsh, but look sloppy and could block their ass off. So it's hard. It's, it's a yeah. hard position to recruit. You know, um, sticking on offense for a moment, I, I think for for those that are listening that care about Maryland football, Steve said it earlier, and it's true. They are loaded at wide receiver. I mean, they've got NFL talent at wide receiver. Um, in the backfield, you know, Teon Fleet Davis is sort of in the mold of what they've had recently. But to me, the guy that was so intriguing last year, and I don't know if he's going to play tomorrow or not, was the big boy Penny Boone. You know, who was mm-hmm. you know two hundred and fifty pounds and and seemed to have good balance, good vision. How how much of a of a role um, in, in the backfield do you think he'll have? I think he's going to play, and I think he's going to play a good amount. He he shined in camp this past couple weeks. He benefited from Fleet Davis got nicked up like the first practice. So he was Penny Boom was running with the ones for uh, maybe a week, and he looks good. I like him too. I He's big, like you said, but ironically, I like him on the edge. I think he's better on the edge. I want, I want swing passes. I want screens to him because that's where a DB doesn't want to mess with this kid, right? So if you get him on the edge, then he's going to break way more tackles and – guys aren't even going to want to hit him so i hope that's what they're seeing and i hope that's how they utilize it but i'm on i'm on the same page i like penny boone and i'll mention the other two freshmen roman hemby and colby mcdonald i like mcdonald he looked good in practice too it is running back committee they got isaiah jacobs there too. i don't know if how much the freshman might play with colby and and roman hemby but i want to i want penny boone to have 10 touches a game, too. All right, you touched on it a little bit. Tell me where the athletes and the strength is defensively. If it's not the defensive line, get, uh, just reiterate a few of those names that you mentioned early on. Uh, Nick Cross at safety, he's probably an NFL guy, he, and he's probably the best player on the defense. He's number three. He's a yep. local kid, went to DeMatha. Right. He's he's legit. Jordan Mosley, his counterpart at, at strong safety, he's a beast, too. He's going to be in the box making plays and a lot of tackles. Now, the new guy on the scene is is linebacker Ruben Hippolyte. He's my guy. I got high expectations for him. I, he's young. He's a sophomore. He played last year, but right, that's only five games. He's going to be starting at middle linebacker. He's If the D-line's doing their jobs and keeping guys off of him, he's going to make a bunch of tackles, and he could become the next great middle linebacker that the university's had. Those would be the ones that stick out to me. Dante, or Deontay Banks, the corner, he's probably been the steadiest player all camp. He's had the best camp. He's been the only corner that they haven't wavered at all. There's been a lot of mixing of the corners throughout camp, not for reasons of not performing, but they got a lot of guys that they're rotating through to see who's going to be that second quarter opposite of Deontay Banks, but he's never moved. So, the secondary is good, led by those guys, and then keep your eye on number 11, Ruben Hippolyte, in the middle. Uh, special teams-wise, I know Petrino's back is the kicker. Do they have a punt returner? Do they have the next Steve Suter or not? We need something there because there hasn't 
been a flashy return or returner in a little bit. I looked at the stats last year. They had 27 punts punted to them, and they only returned two, which is just ridiculous. That's a lot of fair catches and a lot of... What about Jones? What about again. Jones as a punt returner? I, I, he just looks like a guy from a couple of years ago. Obviously, he was out last year. Is he capable of doing it? He can do it. I think they trust him back there from a catching the ball standpoint. But I think it's going to be Rakim Jared at punt anyway. And then I, ironically, I think they're putting Demas at kick returner. At least that's what I'm hearing, which seems a little odd to me, but. They know what they're. I, I hope they know what they're doing. If if he's that good, long and fast, then maybe it'll work out. Right. So it's either going to be him or Isaiah Jacobs. I think. Right, this game tomorrow, um, you know, in so many ways, I'm sitting here as, as I really start to think about this team in the last couple of years. To be honest with you, they're almost suited better for the Big 12, aren't they? <laughs> with the way the Big 12 plays. <laughs> Um, it, it really is like their 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 style. Um, you know, they want to spread you out and they want to get the ball into the hands of their playmakers. And they've got outstanding talent and speed. Um, you know, on the outside, as you mentioned. So maybe this is the kind of matchup that might end up being better um, for Maryland than some in the Big Ten. But you said it earlier. You think this is a significant game, this opener. Maryland's a three-point dog tomorrow at home, by the way. Um, You think this could be the difference between uh, ultimately at the end of the year, six wins and bowl game and five and no bowl game, right? I do. Yeah, if you get this game, you can look at the schedule and then you can say where could be have a great shot of being 4-0 going into the Friday night Iowa game. So you come out the season 4-0, you just need to snag two more wins, and I think they could do it. This is, so this one is important. And the matchup is going to be a strength-on-strength strength one. I think our offense is the strength of our team, and their defense is the strength of their team. They led the nation in pass defense, and they were very good overall defense. So they led, and they led the Big 12 in defense. Now, Big 12 isn't really known for defense, so you can take that for what it's worth. But it's going to be our offense versus their defense. And can we score points on them? If we can, then I like our chances. Maryland has Illinois. They have Howard in week two. Then they play Illinois. Brett Bielma's team, I think, is going to be much improved. I think he's an outstanding coach. They beat Nebraska. Uh, last week in the opener. Um, and in looking at Maryland's schedule this year, they still are in the Big Ten East, which is brutal. You know, they have to play in Columbus. They have to play Penn State at home. At Michigan State, I think Michigan State's not going to be as bad as they were last year. They should be improved. Michigan at home. Um, and then they've got their crossover games are Illinois, Iowa, and Minnesota this year. Um, I think we saw last night Minnesota's going to be a much better team than they were last year, and probably I'm not going to say they're going to be as good as, as they were two years ago, um, but they've got some talent on that team. Anyway, uh, the Big Ten loaded this year per usual. Tomorrow, though, not a Big Ten matchup. Uh, a matchup against an old rival, first time since 2015. That game was in Morgantown. Uh, Steve was a big part of this rivalry when he played for Ralph's teams back in the early 2000s. And we know this, right, that West Virginia fans, they travel as well as anybody does. <laughs> yes, they do. And there's nothing better than send them home unhappy. Yeah, exactly. Um, congrats on the new gig. I'll be listening. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Ian. 
Tomorrow, 3.30, Maryland kicks it off against West Virginia out in College Park. Tickets are still available. Uh, The game can be heard on radio with Johnny and Steve on the call. Team 980 here locally. It's on ESPN. Uh, Maryland's a three-point underdog. Um, As far as this Maryland team this year, I think Steve pretty much, you know, laid it out. They 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 have some talent on this team, certainly at the skill position players offensively and in the secondary defensively. Uh, Maryland's big issue since entering the Big Ten is just being big enough and strong enough in the trenches. You know, in the Big Ten, that's what you have to be if you're ever going to contend for anything, especially in the Big, uh, big Ten East, which is, you know, the second-best college football division next to the SEC. West with Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State. Michigan State, even though they've been down here recently, Indiana now ranked. Uh, Maryland's crossover opponents this year are, you know, an 18th ranked Iowa team. And then we saw Minnesota last night. They really pushed Ohio State and then Illinois with Brett Bielma. You know, to really contend for more than just, you know, 500 seasons or a game above 500 and making bowls, they're going to have to recruit bigger, stronger up front. Um, and that's where this league typically is decided uh, in the trenches. You know, Ohio State has both. You know, a lot of these teams, Penn State's got both. They've got the skill position talent, and they've got uh, the big boys uh, in the trenches. Maryland's got a upgrade uh, in the trenches. Uh, specific to this year, Maryland's got to be a more disciplined team under Mike Loxley. They led the league last year in penalties, um, a penalty and a half more than Rutgers, who was second in the league. Um, They literally had uh, nearly um, 17 yards difference in penalty yardage um, between them uh, and the second worst in the league. Maryland's got to be a more disciplined team. Um, These penalties ended drives. Uh, They could have gotten them off the field in a couple of spots and, and instead extended drives on the other side. Loxley talked about this uh, at, at a press conference recently. He said that in the scrimmages, penalties were an issue. Um, and uh, he's got to have a team that's more disciplined. Um, I think that's a, a big part of what we'll see. We're going to see explosive talent um, at wide receiver and off- offensively in space. We're going to see some games where they put up some big points and some big yardage totals. Uh, but if they're going to be a six or a seven win team and a bowl team this year, they've got to be more disciplined across the board. And that is something that, you know, you look at the head coach for. Uh, I know that he is trying to hold those players accountable. And he said at, at one point recently, he said, quote, that's something we've preached about and something we'll continue to hold our guys accountable for. I can deal with some of the penalties that come with the game, but it's the self-inflicted ones, the false starts, the line lineups in the neutral zone. I've been working hard on staying on top of our guys about not beating ourselves and taking care of business from that standpoint. I think that's a big, big thing uh, for Maryland. Um, I really do. I think that the uh, the turnovers uh, and penalties um, are something they've got to reduce significantly or it could be a long year. But they do have talent. They've recruited at a high level. Uh, and they play a schedule that starts with West Virginia tomorrow. Um, Then they get Howard next week. They get Illinois on the road on a Friday night. Uh, Then Kent State uh, is is on Maryland's schedule out of the MAC. 
Um, uh, Kent State, by the way, opens up with Texas A&M tomorrow. They also play Iowa early in the season, so they're going to be well-prepared for Maryland when they come to College Park on September 25th. And then Maryland has another Friday night game, this one at home against a ranked Iowa team, and then they go to Columbus the following week. So uh, it is, uh, it's brutal when you're in the Big Ten, especially the Big Ten East, but they've recruited well. They've certainly got the skill position talent. They've certainly got the team speed. Hopefully they've got the quarterbacking, um, and I think uh, the discipline, uh, the reduction of penalties and turnovers will be huge for them this year. Okay, um, what, do, what am I expecting? I, I think Steve's right. I think that this game, believe it or not, tomorrow is huge because there are games on their schedule where they'll be favored, you know, and the West Virginia game could be the difference between five wins and no bowl, six wins and a bowl. Uh, so tomorrow's big. Um, will it be in the smell test? Uh, stay tuned. That's next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Kevin looks where the John Q. Public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's It's time time for the the smell smell test. All right, let's finish up the show with the smell test. Uh, It's sponsored by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC, and they will match your first ever deposit dollar for dollar. That's extra money credited to your account instantly just for using my promo code Kevin DC and making your first deposit. If you're doing this seriously, you should have more than one place to wager. Why not my bookie? They're going to give you free money. They also have $500,000 in contest prizes on their site. It's a fair site, fair point spreads, fair money lines, fair totals, fair pricing. You should comparison shop, get the best possible point spread, best possible pricing. My bookie's fair. I promise you it'll work out. Go to mybookie at mybookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC. And again, first ever deposits are matched dollar for dollar. All right. Uh, I gave you Minnesota last night plus 14. We talked about that at the beginning of the show. Uh, that's a push. So we're 0 0 and 1 to start the season. Steve tweeted me the other day and he said, Sheehan, maybe the contrarian play now is to go with the obvious. It seems like everybody now is an anti public better. That's true. It seems like it. But still, if you talk to people who uh, take bets for a living, most betters still think they can outwit Vegas. Uh, and they can't. And that's the crux of the smell test to sort of understand what you don't know. And that is, when it comes to these games, God, football more than any, um, you don't know as much as you think you know. And if you admit that and you try to identify the, the games and the teams that sports books need each weekend where they don't have split action and they're just collecting the VIG, if you are on their side, you will win more than you lose. Uh, year 16 of the smell test, 11 winning seasons for losing seasons. All right, uh, let's start with tonight. Michigan State plus three at Northwestern. That's your first pick tonight. Michigan State is an anti-public play. They're coming off a bad year with Mel Tucker in his first year. Northwestern coming off that season in which they were in the Big Ten title game against Ohio State. Pat Fitzgerald is tough to bet against when he's got so much time to prepare. Um, But Michigan State's the right side tonight. They're the sharp side, too. They have a ton of transfers. They've turned that roster over. Northwestern's lost a lot of players from the team that got to the championship game 
game in the Big Ten last year. Michigan State tonight plus the three. Tomorrow, Cincinnati is laying 23. They're a 23-point favorite against Miami of Ohio. I like Miami of Ohio plus the 23. It's an anti-public play. There's sharp money on Miami of Ohio as well. They've got a bunch of players returning, including Blaine Gabbert's brother, Brett Gabbert, who's the quarterback at Miami of Ohio. Cincinnati, Big expectations, right? They're ranked eighth in the in the country. Some people think they could be a playoff team. They've got big games looming against Indiana and Notre Dame in a few weeks and back-to-back weeks. I think this is a close competitive game. I like Miami of Ohio plus the 23. San Jose State, uh, San Jose State, that is, played last week. They destroyed Southern Utah uh, 45-14 um, in a game uh, in that sort of uh, pre-week one setup last week. Uh, Nick Starkle is their quarterback. He transferred from AM in Arkansas a few years ago. Had a big year for San Jose State last year. He threw for 394 and four touchdowns in their win last week. USC was off. USC's laying 14. The public's all over the Trojans. Keaton Slovis, their quarterback, a lot is expected out of him. I think San Jose State's capable of really scoring in this game and keeping this close. I think the line should be 17, uh, and it's only 14, and it's held there at 14. I'll take San Jose State plus the 14. Keep an eye on this game, though. If late sharp money comes in in a big way, on uh, SC, if that number stays at 14 and all of a sudden it jumps to 15 and a half or 16, back off it. Um, but I think uh, if it holds at 14, I really like San Jose State. I know that is counterintuitive for most of you, but those of you who've been paying attention to the smell test understand that if that line jumps big at the end, it is sharp money coming in on SC. I'm a little bit concerned about that with this game. Um, but uh, if it holds there at 14, 13 and a half, 13, 14 and a half, uh, San Jose State's the play. Uh, they're official here on a Friday plus the 14. Last game is another game which features a team that played last week versus a team that hasn't played a game yet. Illinois beat Nebraska last week in Brett Bielma's first game as the head coach uh, of the Illini. Beat him 30-22. to I think he's a great coach, and I think he's going to turn it around at Illinois. I do. They're only laying five against UTSA, University of Texas San Antonio. Line opened at six. It's down to five. A lot of public action. Ton on the team they watched last week in Illinois. I'll take UTSA plus the five tomorrow night. Uh I know some of you are saying, Sheehan, didn't you bet UTSA a bunch last year and the year before? I think I did have them a lot, and I don't think it always worked out well. Um, But this game fits the criteria. The lines come down, sharp money on Illinois, recent impressions on Illinois. The line is short. Uh, UTSA can definitely score. I like them plus the five. Uh, Recapping, all right, we had Minnesota last night plus 14 push. I like Michigan State tonight plus three at Northwestern. Miami of Ohio plus 23 against Cincinnati tomorrow. Uh, San Jose State plus 14 in the Coliseum against SC. And UTSA plus five against Illinois. So four additional picks on top of the pick last night. Uh, As always, for entertainment purposes only (laughs) Uh, be careful. Uh, not a you know high volume week here in week one. Uh, that'll happen next week because already there's some NFL games that are one sided 
from a public standpoint, a public betting standpoint. All right, that's it for the day. I will be off on Monday, back on Tuesday, making NFL predictions for the year all week. Tommy will be with me, and I think Cooley will join me next week as well. Have a great weekend.